I received an email uh, around tea time or a little before of a Sangha member in Portland who had died of cancer. And I had known her for a few years. She uh, went through a illness a few years ago in which the doctors gave her a limited prognosis. And then she rallied. Uh, the doctor said that she had gone into some sort of remission. They took her out of her uh, limited prognosis and she just continued to live. But in the meantime, she had gathered with a group of the Sangha there in Portland to uh, expose her dying process to the group. And so they would meet regularly and they would uh, uh, talk about what it was like for her to go through um, less than a year to live. And it changed all of them radically. But then when she got to the point where the doctor said she was going to live on, (laughs) the group kind of didn't have any reason for continuing. And they kind of broke apart and uh, in good humor with one another. And then uh, three years or four years or five had passed. And then very quickly, last in the last uh, several weeks, she uh, prognosis was renewed. Cancer came back and she died very quickly, in fact, this morning. And I was just... I just uh, I just got her picture up on my Facebook page, not Facebook, but my internet page, <clears throat> and I just uh, I just uh, had a conversation with her. Just wanted to close it out, right? Just wanted to um, express uh, our connection. And uh, I intend to do that for uh, an ongoing period of time because I feel that there may be some uh, confusion in a consciousness that no longer is embodied. And I'm, I thought how fortunate she was to have spent some time and some real dedicated time because she was a sincere practitioner orienting her life, not only to her death, but also to the vibrancy and vitality of her living as well. And how few people actually have the opportunity to orient themselves like that when they do die. And that uh, it's it's a tremendous gift to be able to do that. I have a, a, a psychic friend who uh, can see into his past lives and has said that he had one life in which he drowned and he can still feel the confusion in his body, this life, from the drowning and and not knowing what had killed him in the previous life. And so much of, I think, much of what we carry with us may be confusion of unknown origin, may be terror of unknown 
history, of an unknown history. And that this vibratory process called life and body carries the remnants of whatever we have been and not only this particular limited form, but on as well. And that that can be extraordinarily confusing as we try to locate the reasons for whatever it is that are happening, trying to pinpoint the cause when we don't see any cause, when we don't have any obvious reason, when there's the history that we are living doesn't understandably lead to the fear or the grief or the compelling reactivity that is in some of us. And I'm very strongly uh, in favor of dropping the need to have to justify anything when we feel a certain emotional response in ourselves. I think the reason that we feel we have to sort of turn around and invite a satisfactory cause to what we're feeling is because we really don't want to feel it on its own terms. If we can explain why we're having to feel it because of some cause, my mother, my father, or some incident that happened later in our life, then we can justify having to feel the feelings we have. But doesn't do anything to the feeling to justify it. Doesn't make it any less or more comfortable. And we're still left holding the bag of our feelings, you might say, of our emotions. And I think there's a, there's a maturity that is necessary for us to be able to look at our life with a more exactitude, with a more immediacy than trying to give it some longitudinal reference. We all carry the baggage of our past. We all carry perhaps countless lifetimes of the hardball that life plays with us. It's played hardball with all of our lives here and I'm sure it will continue to into the future. It's not an easy game, life. It's hard for everybody. It's hard for the wolf, it's hard for the frog, and it's hard for the human to live. It's a hard thing. And to acknowledge that we're all in this together, in that sobriety, and not to try to uh, to assume the responsibility for it, to meet it, And to assume the responsibility for it is the hallmark of a sincere heart, I feel. The hallmark of sincerity. We're doing something that's extraordinarily difficult by any measurement. We're trying to make an unconsciousness It's been bred and born and conditioned not to see, not to look, to deny and be defensive, to hunker down, to blame, to accuse, to stay dark inside. We're trying to make that not called our life conscious. And this is what it looks like. 
This is a cross-section of what it looks like to come out from that darkness, that cave, into the light. Everybody's screams, everybody's accusations, everybody's recoiling in not only their terror, but in each other's. And so we need as a small group to help us through this, to aid in the support necessary. And that's what a sangha is. A sangha is a mutual support system that no longer has as its core any pretension to being anything else other than trying to wake up. That's the reason for it being. And any other reason that we place in front of ourselves, any other destination we hold other than being fully conscious, will distort our journey towards being conscious. Simply noticing and being aware of where we are in denial and defensiveness. I mean, it's very simple. It's being willing to look. That's the journey. Why is this so? Why is it such a hell? Have you wondered? (laughs) I've wondered. You see, somewhere along the line, we made a pact with Mara. Mara is the Buddhist equivalent to the devil. But actually, it's just the dark areas and shadowy areas of our own mind. So our pact went something like this. We get control over our life. And in order for us to have control... We don't get in. T- we can't be in touch with reality. That's the pact we've made. So we get control. We just can't have control over reality. So what we get instead is a narrative, a word story of our life rather than the actual thing. And we have lived with it with such resolution and such absolution that it has taken the place of reality. In fact, it's so used to it that we really don't want to go back to reality. The problem is, in order to maintain that, we have to be completely unconscious. We have to be asleep. We have to be dead to life. And we're willing to make that pact. Now it's funny, isn't it? That we've all been asleep and we're afraid to wake up. I mean, some people are awake and afraid to sleep. 
but we're afraid to wake up. We're afraid of living without the details of our description. We think we'll lose something very important if we do so. And some of us make a conclusion that there is no possibility of waking up. In fact, there's only the dream. There's only the state of thought. Now that's very sad when you've reached that conclusion. Slowly, some of us feel our hearts stir. Somehow from the ashes of our sleep, our hearts stir. Somehow, somehow, life gets in sufficiently so that we question in our sleep, we question whether this is all there is. We question whether there is something else some other form, some other representation, some other way that life can be lived outside of this encased and enclosed story I have given it. And the stirring of that heart, the hallmark of the stirring of that heart is sincerity. And sincerity doesn't look pretty. It doesn't look like the way this course should go. It doesn't look like now I'm walking the straight and narrow. I'm being sincere. No. Sincerity is the willing to be radically honest with however it it is. And some of you will come into interviews and you will say to me that whatever, as if you'll say something something about your life, something about what's been going on, it'll be absolutely authentically true, but the way you'll be saying it is that you'll almost be ashamed of the truth of it. As if it, if a good interview, it should have had a different ending. And to me, I am absolutely delighted inside because I don't care about the ending. I care about the truth of your willing to look at it. And to admit to what it is that's happening. That's all. Because then I can work with that. Then I've got something that you and I have got something absolutely together. We are connecting. Not in where the story is going or how far you think you are from any kind of realization. Or how awful you think you've been in your practice or whatever. But the truth of that. The truth is where we can land together. And it doesn't matter to me. Whether you say, oh, I just don't have any intention to awaken whatsoever. And some of you do say that. Some of you say, you know, you talk about awake, awake. I have no desire at all to awake. And you're just kind of fed up with my <laughs> rap. And you just, you know, I don't give a damn what you think of me, Rodney. I don't care about waking. So I think, oh, good. <laughs> this is great. 
Okay, so let's look at this. You see? Now we start. We're, we're rubbing shoulders. We're, we're side by side in this thing. And others of you will come feigning a story that feels embellished. I'm not convinced in the authenticity of it. But you'll look in your seat, try, you know, am I smiling at you or what? <laughs> it's like, come on, let's get to the real, let's get to, let's get to the sincerity here. And it's interesting because teachers, you know, we have uh, groups, sometimes the groups that gather are very experienced and the ones that are most experienced in gathering groups are often the least willing to share their stories with others because they think that their stories indicate their lack of sophistication in the Dharma. And I'm thinking if they're, you know, I'm thinking just the opposite. If you don't, you're showing your lack of sophistication in the Dharma. Because it's the sincerity to tell your story exactly where you are, which shows the hallmark of your growth and maturity. Not where that story is or how ex- Explosive or how awesome your insights are. That doesn't, it's the, it's the honesty factor. It's the authenticity. That's the, that's it. And all of this should take us there. You see, but we keep thinking that it shouldn't. It should be, you know, we're, we, none of us, because of our doubt and Carrie's explanation we doubt our authenticity we think more of the experience as a validity than the authenticity as a validity we mistrust the heart's rawness of truth which is which is the which is having stepped out in the wakeful state the reality check of life. Instead, we, we want the, some kind of content within our dream to indicate how, what? How awake we are within the dream? There's a refreshing, I mean, if you've, if you've ever seen Beginner, you know, they sit down, they're looking around like, <laughs> what, what's supposed to, you know, like what, nothing's happening here. Like, you know, they're just, they don't play around, you know, they, <laughs> they're not going to waste their time in it. <laughs> and they're probably closer to being authentic in that moment than perhaps any other. Because in that quizzical state of they're just not willing to they're not willing to be BS we forget about the quality of sincerity that absolute honesty of heart the unequivocal state of openness unequivocal. 
because we don't think the facts of our life fit the blueprint of our destination. We think there should be other things occurring, other experiences that we're having to fit the journey that we have created towards the destination that we have assumed. Somehow, we start conjuring up what it means to awaken and then create this kind of fantasy. When what it means is very simple. You just drop you just drop all that. And you're willing to admit what is going on absolutely. Just an absolute truth. And that's the beauty of Sangha. The beauty of Sangha is that it begins to Everyone is in it together. And when the pot is stirred, you know, there's no special beans in a pot of beans. It's like, you know, it's just, this is just, you know, this is just. And, and, and we, you know, at some point, you, I'm sure there, when people are new to it, they, they try to, position themselves in different... But very quick, nobody's interested in that. Nobody lights up when if somebody starts being arrogant. In fact, you realize the pain behind that arrogance and you just hope that they realize it so that they can get down to being genuine. And then because nobody is reinforcing that arrogance, they do fall down into their humanity. And there's this possibility of companionship within humanity which can be supportive towards that truth of sharing. And when these small groups, we do small groups in Seattle Insight and these small groups get together and they start sharing and you can see it. I can just, I can watch it because I'm sitting uh, in a different place and I see the people share and they're just like, you know, listening to each other and they're just What's really happening is the fine-tuning of their sincerity. They, I, they think, oh, that was a waste of time because I didn't hear a Dharma talk. No, really. I mean, usually people, much, many fewer people come to the discussions. They don't understand the fine-tuning that's taking place in there. So I have defined sincerity in three ways. And then I'd just like to speak about them if I could. One is acknowledging distortion without pretension. One is uncovering pain without projection. And the third is facing facts without defensiveness. So, acknowledging distortion without pretension. That's, I mean, these are not 
You see, our image, all along the way, our image is at stake here. Why do we lie at all? Why do we distort the truth at all? We distort the truth to hide the fact of what we think others will not like about ourselves that we know about ourselves to be true. So that's the reason that we distort the truth. And it's not easy to suddenly give up that defense because the defense we think has helped us become what we are today. And all, everybody appreciates me partly because I have defended people from seeing the me that really is there. But it doesn't take a lot of insight to see what's really there. And I'm sure all of you have sufficient amount. (laughs) When you look around, you see what's really there and then you see the presentation. And you think to yourself, boy, you know, if she would just, there's no reason, there's no reason that he or she, they don't have to do this. They don't have to put on airs. They don't have to do this. But to them, they think that the reason you're even receptive to them is because they are defending and defensive. And that's why every time I'm in an interview and somebody says something that absolutely resonates and you can just feel it all around the room because it's so true to that person and they're willing to expose themselves to it, I'll try to rush in and say, thank you for your honesty. Not missing a a chance to reinforce the thing that really binds us together as a humanity and which we can really share. Because everybody feels that too. Everybody feels the shared humanity of each other's pain. It opens all of our hearts. And it doesn't open all of our hearts so that there's a judgment except to the person who's speaking and we judge that person for... No, it opens all of our hearts to the person who's speaking as well as to all of us who share in that pain equally. And I can't think of very many areas of pain that aren't shared by all of us. And there's, I, I, acknowledging distortion without pretension. I mean, I, I would often pretend, because I, like everyone else, as I was moving through my Dharma practice, felt that I wanted to impress teachers or impress other students. But I would go back into my room and I just feel awful. You know, I just feel like, oh, I just feel, I don't know. I just, and I just, what, what's going on here? I just, I wanted there was something in me and I hope it's also I can awaken it in you if it's not there already. That a deep sense it just said simply this is not worth it. I don't care. I don't care what you think of me. It's not worth it. 
And the body feels that. The body feels it. You can feel it expressing itself energetically. When you're with someone and you are having a conversation and then you say something a little off, suddenly the body, the whole sensation within the body, the whole energy vibrancy of the body changes. Because there's no longer connection. You can't distort the truth and stay connected. And you, f- you feel that separation. You feel the split. And then if, you, if we tune into that, we'll immediately get back on course. Because there is no greater joy than that shared and spontaneous link of the heart to one another through connection. And so the fine-tuning can be felt through the interconnection of those bodies together. If you tune into the body, it gives you an indicator of our level of honesty and sincerity. And what is it... To have an ongoing question of what it is that is motivating my need to be deceitful. What is it that's motivating that? And not with some critical harshness, but with an examining eye. Why is it? Why is it? And the question that I would ask myself often, what is it? What is it that I needed to do? Why hide? Why was that lie important to me? I wouldn't try to condemn myself for lying, I would try to find out what was so important that to me that I needed to do that with compassion. Because if it was that important to me, I didn't mind myself lying. It was that important. But I wanted to see what it was to see if it was that important. Because if it wasn't that important, well, then there's no sense in carrying the lie for it. And it was always some need to deflect somebody's eye on me, you know, that it was too clearly focused on some area that I did not appreciate in myself. And so to deflect the gaze, I would have to distort. And unless and until, and it sounds so trite, that it's almost not worth saying, unless and until I was able to establish a steady and compassionate gaze to those areas myself, I would not let anyone else close. That's for sure. And then we move into the second, and of course you can... Acknowledging distortion without pretension is huge. I mean, it's I could do a week on it. We're just moving through these things. Just, just rubbing them. There's the pain without projection. Pain without projection, you see, that's... You can just feel it. You can say, you know, all the reasons that I'm the person I am, it's so nice to be able to have parents that we can pin the tail of our blame on. Isn't it? They serve a tremendous purpose for us. 
Everything that goes a little amiss is a parental fault. And why is it, what is it about an emotion that is unable to be held, that I have to, that I'm so afraid of the implications of this feeling, of this pain, of this contraction within me, which is often just an assumption that I have based myself on. What is it about the emotion around that assumption and the assumption itself that it's too hot to handle? What is it about that? You see, I want to know that. You see, that that was a sincere, that was sincerity. That doesn't come calculated. The mind doesn't want any part of that. But the heart springs, I do want to know that. And then you begin to see that the, we're just constantly deflecting the pain issue that we refuse to look at and we just assert it on someone else. We just let other people walk with it. Other people hold it. And so everyone else is laced with our pain because we refuse to assume it. So the world is covered with our own contraction. Well, you get to the point where you, just, you see that. You see that. And you just say, that's it. If we knew what we were doing to others through our projection, the hate, the anger, the resentment, that we're doing it to them because we refuse to acknowledge it in ourselves, we would get sober very quickly. One facet of that projection is our opinions. And this is one that I'm beginning to understand more and more. It's very hard and has been very hard for me to honor people's opinions when they are based upon the kind of conclusions that they draw about the world. For instance, it, to me, it's a no-brainer, and this is just per- personal, no-brainer that universal health care, it's a no-brainer that everyone should have health care, right? Why, why would you want anyone deprived of health care? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, just, it's, I, I'm sorry, I can't, it's not an arguable fact from my point of view. And yet there's a whole group, large population of people that think just the opposite. And I just can't settle with that. Right? I can't settle with the fact that they could their opinion could be equal to mine. <laughs> right? So so this so then I I had to I mean it was really hard. So you okay, so wait a second here. This is a my view is a view. It is a view built upon years of experience. It doesn't matter what it's built upon. It's still a view. It's a view that does not hold the complete story. 
does not hold the complete story. It holds, if I had lived their life, whoever they are, I would hold their view. And it wouldn't be the complete story either. So who is it that, it's one partial story talking to another partial story. And so, wait a second now. You know, my opinion isn't any better than theirs. And my arrogance, and my, I'd love to, you know, yeah, that's how war is. That is the, that's the causation of conflict. But to actually see the equality of opinion, to actually see that, that there is no opinion that's better than another. That it is just an opinion. It's amazing, isn't it? Feel the righteous indignation. The absolute dismissal of the other point of view. And you see what we're up against in coming and breaking this death hold. And the third, is facing facts without defensiveness. That really holds the key, I think. Is the willingness to look. Now, if we're going to be conscious, we've got to look. There's no way to make ourselves conscious without making ourselves, allowing ourselves to look. You can't sneak in (laughs) and have consciousness. The definition is looking. Right? And if we're going from unconscious to consciousness, we've got to see it. I don't care how hard it is or what it is that's so difficult. This needs to be some sense of this is the way. This is the alignment. In fact, many people who are going through very difficult phases in their life and lots of different activity within that phases, there's lots going on. There may be in the middle of a divorce or kids or this, that, everything, and or catastrophes are happening. And I say, okay, just catch as much as you can. Just little things, pieces flying by. Don't try to see the whole thing because you can't. You're too in that state of confusion and you're also being asked to act and you're not going to be able to sort out what's... Just catch the glimpses like little flicks of this or little flicks of that. That's enough. Catch whatever you can. Don't hold yourself accountable to things you can't catch. Just catch what you can. And that's true for all of us. Just catch what you can. Just that. Don't be so reprimanding, spiritually demanding on yourself because you weren't up for the task. Give yourself every opportunity to fail in this. But simply watch what you can see. Little patterns. And you will. And they'll build up. It'll build. It'll be. It'll become more and more easily seen. Whatever it might be. Whatever the pattern is in you. However difficult it might be to face it. Just catch a flick of it. 
the anger before the rage. Just catch it. I'll just you don't have to. <laughs> that's not a, just like that, like a firefly. Oh, I saw it. I did over there somewhere. For the path of sincerity is really the path of self-acceptance. Our reason for sinking down into the truth of who we are is that finally we have accepted the facts of who we are. We're willing to even appreciate those facts. And at some point you will appreciate all the facts because those facts protected us. They defended us well. They kept us safe in whatever distorted, convoluted way they thought they were protecting us, they did their job. And when we were small, we needed that. We needed the fantasy world. We needed the flight. It got us through. And so when you turn towards these patterns, do it with a bow. The bow of sincerity. Yeah, it's hard. But thank you. I no longer need you. Thank you for your service work. I no longer need you, but thank you. You're, you've been well paid. <laughs> and thank you all for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.